We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. The Chicago Bulls select Kobe White. Levine with the runway! Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast around the Blue Wire Network. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm here as always with Jason Pat. We also have a new sponsor today, Brooklyn, in helping us present the show. And we have a new guest with us as well. That's Casey Johnson, who was on the Bulls beat at the Tribune, I believe, for 20 seasons. Uh, you've now been at NBC Sports Chicago for a few seasons. Uh, Casey, thank you so much for joining us. I feel like you are a stalwart on the Bulls beat for many decades, and it's an honor to have you on the podcast. So thanks for taking some time uh, to chat with us. I guess we are going to start off with the All-Star game. The Bulls actually had an All-Star for the first time since they traded Jimmy Butler, and perhaps it was no surprise the Bulls fouled a three-point shooter even in the All-Star game, even when the Bulls aren't playing Zach Levine out there found a three-point shooter. What did you think when you saw that, Casey? That just seemed so fitting to me. I thought that I had to fire up my tweeter machine because I, I, I'm actually pretty proud of myself. I rarely am proud of myself, but I, I, I was actually pretty proud of myself because, as you guys know, I have the little 30-point uh, deficit alert uh, gig going on Twitter. Yep. And then early this season, I was the first to acknowledge this disturbing trend that has resulted with the Bulls following three-point shooters. So I actually have a three-point shooter fouled alert tweet. And I actually declared that I was creating a new alert tweet just for this very trend. So now when it happens, I can't even really enjoy the moment. I just have to panic and tweet really fast. So that that was what I was processing in real time, <laughs> that Zach Levine was following a three-point. I don't even remember who he fouled because I couldn't believe that it was actually happening at an All-Star game. But that was, that was amazing, wasn't it, guys? <laughs> I think... Yeah, I think it was Jalen Brown, and he made it. Which I think like the craziest thing about like the the, the the amount of shots that have gone in on these three point foul shots, and it's just it's ridiculous. Like I remember the Buddy Heald one. There's been like a ton of other ones. I know in the Pelicans game, I think they missed their shots, but like at the end of that Pelicans game, I think there were two in a row. Uh, just absolutely wild. Yeah, Jalen Brown hit some ridiculous shot, and Zach fouled him. And I remember I like went to Twitter right away as well, and like I screenshotted. Like you tweeted, I think Rob, your co- uh, coworker Rob Schaefer tweeted. I had my tweet just like back to back to back, Bulls three point foul alert. It's like oh my god, uh, hilarious. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be. Yeah. 
there, there's like a broader theme to this because as you guys know, like Billy's been talking about they're overfouling all season and then Arturis in his first public comments to us since the training camp hopped on that theme as well. So it, you could, I mean, it's obviously we're having a little bit of fun with it, but it, it is part of a larger disturbing trend where this team has gotten better defensively as the season progressed, but the fouling is just it, – it's inexplic- inexplicable at times and there's nothing more inexplicable than fouling a three-point shooter. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the three-point defense has actually been, like, one of the big, like, improvements. I just noticed that, like, last week, they're I think they're close to top five at this point. And over, like, the last month or two, they're, like, the best three-point defensive team in the league. But except for the fouling the three-point shooters, maybe that's part of it. They're just, like, so aggressive guarding the three there, just following too many guys. But, uh, no, that is funny. Now that we got that out of the way, that was totally the most important part of uh, the Bulls All-Star weekend and all, that whole thing. I guess we could talk a bit more about Zach's uh, just like whole his whole weekend. He uh, unfortunately did bow out in the first round yet again in the three-point contest, which was kind of unfortunate. I think he actually had one point less. I think he had 23 last year in Chicago and then 22 yesterday. And uh, I know he had, he had the money ball, right, in the first rack. Did, did he do that in the first rack yesterday? Was that right? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, because I, I think I know. I think Matt Moore was tweeting about it. It's like that's like his spot. Like he's shooting something like sixty percent from three. I think from that corner, he put that in the he put that first rack there, and he just did not did not get off to a great start, and he fell short. Uh, Stephen Curry put on a show and won that. Uh, but the slam dunk contest, which he's not doing anymore, but that was like I feel almost like the highlight of his night because Casey, you wrote about this. Even though he like doesn't participate anymore. He's basically just like an icon and a god to all these guys. And like they were all like looking up to him. Uh, there was like Cassius Stanley, Anthony Simons, who won, and Obi Toppin. Uh, like I said, and you wrote about this and just kind of like, like, well, how did Zach just seem like he was just super pumped to be just like this huge, like slam dunk, like mentor icon? He's, he's kind of done with the event because he's just like too good for it at this point. But I guess uh, just like, what was he? What was he, he thinking just about like being this type of mentor for these young guys in this dunk contest? Yeah, I mean the phrase he used, guys, was you know it's, it's kind of cool, and and I, I actually personally think it's 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 also um, cool how Zach has handled the dunk contest. I mean yep. he did not bow to public pressure last year to, to 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 do it in Chicago. I mean really, if you think about it, all he would do if he did a dunk contest is fail. I mean he literally to me has put up two of the best dunk contests of all time and done some of the most ridiculous dunks of all time. And you can make a case that that Gordon showdown was the best dunk contest of all time. It's certainly in the conversation. So I'm, I think it's cool that he's going after this history of, uh, you know, trying to become the first to win both the three point and the dunk contest. Um, I was a little surprised that he did not do better than he did yesterday. I mean, it's weird to say that, 16 out of 27 is bad, but that's what he hit in the in the first round. But it obviously wasn't enough to even advance. And nobody was going to beat Steph Curry anyway yesterday. But um, no. I just think that the way he's handled the whole dunk thing is is perfect because he said, like, you know, I, I just have bigger designs now. He doesn't. It's clear he doesn't want to be known as just a dunker. And there's nothing he can do to top what he did in those two years. So um, it it is kind of funny how it you know he's turning 26 this week and he's like the elder statesman uh, sitting there on the sideline that everyone coming to him for their nod of approval or seal of approval. So kudos to him. I mean, you know, he's, he's become more than a dunker and that's what he was known for before uh, he came to the bulls. Yeah, it is funny because it just sort of punctuates like his entire transformation. I mean, he was a guy who came in, this is what it seemed like his legacy was going to be. Now you look at what he's doing this year 
28 points a game. His shooting percentages are just totally out of control this year. I think he's 59% from two, 43% from three, 65% true shooting. So like Jason and I, Jason and I have had this podcast for a couple of seasons. I feel like what we're always talking about is, is Zach Levine someone you build around or someone you trade? And we're always debating the scenarios. Well, I kind of feel like Zach just settled that conversation this season. He is sort of uh, just asserted himself as obviously an all-star caliber player. And, uh, you know, perhaps someone the Bulls will look to build around long term. Uh, the Bulls obviously also had to face this decision in the last few years with Jimmy Butler. And they decided to trade Butler two years left on his contract. I don't know if it was like firmly reported, but it was at least widely speculated that a large reason that they did that was because they didn't want to pay him the full contract. So I know it's a new front office now, new regime, but uh, you know, Zach is going to be a free agent after next season. He's got a year and a half left on his deal. Uh, you know, do you think that the Bulls are in a position where they will offer him that full max contract? And just curious, like as someone who covered the team in both eras, uh, what you, you sort of think the reason was they will offer that contract to Zach when they weren't going to to Jimmy? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's hard to compare, obviously, because of the two different regimes, right? I mean, you know, obviously, not only did that other regime trade Jimmy Butler, but then they also went, made Zach Levine go out and get an offer sheet when he hit, you know, restricted free agency, which is historically how a lot of teams operate, but specifically the Bulls operate. Um, I don't know if that will carry over. Um, in Now I'm kind of branching off that Larry Markkinen situation who will be restricted free agent. I don't know if that will branch over to the new regime. Um, as far as the Zach situation specifically, uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of stuff about the new regime. I got to be honest, I'm not going to be great podcast material here because it's not even so much the fact that we haven't developed professional relationships with them yet very extensively. It's also just the fact that you're not even around them like in casual moments in the gym. So I don't I don't know how they value yep. Uh, players, roster building. I mean, I can speculate, and obviously it's informed speculation because I I have had conversations with these people, and I've talked to a lot of people that know these people well. Um, so, uh, you know, I, it's informed speculation, but I, haven't, I, I don't know what they're going to do with Zach. I mean, we can parse it as it makes sense for them to try to do something this summer so he doesn't get to unrestricted free agency where his uh, max would be more than if, than if they did try to do it this summer. Um, so, you know, uh, I will say that, and I've written this in mailbags, you know, the people that I talk to, and I don't talk to everybody in the league, but the people that I, you know, kind of bop around and check in on are clearly under the impression that, um, they're not looking to move Zach. Now that doesn't mean he's untouchable. You know, it, it's whenever you talk about trade stuff, it always gets kind of funny how you have to like watch your language. <laughs> it's like if, if the Lakers call and offer LeBron for Zach, I'm going to guess they say yes. Uh, you know, so, you know, you got to be careful with that. But the impression that, of the people that I talk to around the league is that um, they're not looking to move Zach. So if you just take that to its logical conclusion, they've got to make a decision on him, whether that's this summer or next summer. Um, but I, I, I don't know where I, I think it's, you guys follow me enough to know that I I've been pretty consistent with this. I I've been in Zach's corner from the jump. I just have seen the potential for growth. I'm not saying he's the perfect player. I, I just have always kind of reeled back against the fact that he can't play winning basketball or he can't impact winning basketball. I think that's always been totally oversold. He's been on really bad teams. 
You don't think LeBron would want him as like his running mate, his <laughs> shooting guard? LeBron won a title with J.R. Smith as his shooting guard. You know, it's like Zach Levine. <laughs> Zach Levine, uh, you know, uh, could couldn't impact winning basketball if he's playing alongside really good players. So, whether he, who cares if he's a one or a one A or a two or what have you? Zach Levine can be a really a highly paid player on a really good basketball team. That's just my opinion. I'm not saying I'm right, but I've firmly been in that opinion all along. And um, I just think if you if you look to trade that guy, you're going to have to do it by this deadline because next year you wouldn't get as much. And um, you're going to be starting over again. And I just I, – I, I don't know, man. I just – I feel like you've got an all-star now. He's turning 26 this year. It's clear these, these guys have a pretty strong idea of how they want to build out a roster – and Zach, to me, can be a part of that. So we'll see how it, how it plays out. Yeah, I think that, you know, one thing Jason and I have talked about in this podcast before is just like, who is Zach's best teammate been <laughs> since he's been here in Chicago? I think now Thaddeus Young is really making a pretty strong case that I'm, it's clear he's the second best player on the team behind Zach and maybe the best player Zach's ever played with. Uh, in Chicago, if you look at Zach's numbers without Thad on the floor, they're not very good in terms of his net rating and uh, his overall plus minus impact stats with Thad, he's been terrific. So I think, you know, with the trade deadline approaching, Thad seems like, uh, you know, the next big piece. The Bulls, uh, in all their public comments, have been really committed to Thad Young. Uh, it seems like, you know, they they are perhaps not going to trade him. But uh, as someone who, even if you haven't been around the team, just is that the same general sense that you're getting that, uh, you know, unless there is a really enticing offer that, you know, the Bulls probably would prefer to keep Thad. And uh, I think, you know, Zach is also a big part of that too, because, you know, how is Zach going to view it if they trade Thad when Thad's had such a great season? So I'm just yeah, curious so, what you feel about that. Yeah. So a couple of things. So obviously there was a report today from Kevin O'Connor and the Raiders yeah, talking about, um, you know, he, he cited sources as saying that that Arturis is telling people that Zach, that is off limits. I wouldn't go that far, um, but you know, it's clear that they value Thad, and not only for what this is going to be cliche alert, but not only for what he does on the court, but certainly off the court. And I want to get into that a little bit because it is cliche alert, but it, I'll, I'll get into more depth on that in a second. But I wrote a couple weeks ago. Yeah. The point that I raised is uh, in a column at, at, at NBCSportsChicago.com is that. Um, I understand this is a business, right? And if, if someone calls and offers an exorbitant offer or even a lottery pick or something, you've, you've obviously got to strongly consider that and put the personal stuff aside. But here's my take on it. If you come in uh, to an organization, as our tourist Karnas Chauvis and Mark Eversley have done, and talked about being uh, player-centric, player-friendly, uh, uh, you know, hands-on management team, build this cohesive unit, and spot all that stuff and then trade the most popular guy in the locker room. Again, I get it's a business, but to me that flies in the face of everything you have said publicly at this point. And would players get over it? Of course. I mean, they would have to, right? And I'm not saying you don't trade that young yeah. if the right offer comes along. However, it's got to be a really damn good offer for for two reasons. He's playing really, 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 really great basketball, number one. And number it's two – Yeah, it's <laughs> ridiculous. I, I love watching – and number two um, – <laughs> The, the locker room. So I, I do want to get into that because I said I joked as cliche alert, but when you impact guys as wide ranging as a rookie and Patrick Williams to a third year player in Wendell Carter Jr. to a veteran, a seven year veteran in, in Zach Levine and have that kind of impact across the board, 
that transcends your normal like good locker room guy stuff, right? So, I, I, I again, if the right offer comes along, yes, you 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 have to think big picture, and you you can't get fall in love with you know making the eighth seed and, and getting bounced in the first round. But you know, Thad's also under contract for the year. Who's to say you know there's not value in an expiring yeah. deal next year, particularly since it's not fully guaranteed. And I just think it, unless it's a really really good offer, trading him would fly in the face of everything this new regime has said publicly. That's just my take on it. And again, it's it's based on informed speculation. Um, so I, I don't think he's off limits, but um, I, I think it's going to take a really, really perfect offer for him to be moved in the next couple of weeks here. You mentioned like the locker room stuff. Was he was on that Zoom call with Zach, right? That they like surprised him with like family and friends and Thad Young was a guy on there. So, I mean, just clearly, and they've obviously talked just like, just how close they are and how much they respect each other. And that is something we, me and Ricky have talked about on this pod. It's like, like, like with Zach is a guy who's never made the playoffs in his career. And he's dying to make the playoffs. Like you're trading Thad Young. You're probably getting worse. That's like hurting your playoff shot. Like, like that would be a tough conversation with Zach to have. I know like, again, he'll get, he'd probably get over it. Like if you can like lay it out, like, you know, like we're doing this to help you in the future, blah, blah, blah. But like, that's tough for a guy who's, just never made the playoffs and and is dying to do it. And you're, and you're trying to build, if you're looking to sign him long-term, like you're obviously trying to do stuff like to help him out. So that definitely is a, a part of it. And clearly the locker room stuff is huge there. Yeah. And this isn't a direct analogy, but you guys remember uh, when the, they, they got the code red from, from ownership to exit the luxury tax and, and traded Luol Deng unexpectedly in yep. January, 2013. Noah didn't talk to us for a week. And that was like completely wow. out of character for Noah. I mean, so those kind of guys, and I remember when Noah finally did talk, you know, he actually walked an incredibly fine line of, of saying, you know, understanding it's a business and understanding the management's got to do and ownership's got to do what they've got to do, but also clearly like tweaking them for like saying like, hey, man, you, you've talked about valuing like continuity and what we build here and then you turn around and do that. I mean, Noah was really stung by that. So it's not a direct analogy, but something that popped into my mind when I was writing that column a couple weeks ago about that. And, you know, in those days, I think that the Bulls front office and their head coach did not exactly have a harmonious relationship, uh, would be a nice way to put it, but it seems like that's gone. Billy Donovan and Arturis Karnaschovas uh, very much seem like they're on the same page. Seems like uh, they're in it together in terms of how they're going to build the franchise up from here. So uh, I know that Karnaschovas just spoke to you guys uh, last week, I think. So uh, early impressions of like what you heard from him uh, in that in that press conference and more so just like how do you sort of view his working relationship with Donovan uh, after so many years of uh, organization that clearly wasn't on the same page with the head coach in the front office? No, that, and that's a good point, Ricky, is that is the – is a contrast to some of the other previous situations that, that have happened here between management and coaching, you know, which I should point out, you know, in, in instances like Skiles and, and Thibodeau started very, very positively and produced a lot of positivity before it um, devolved at the end. Um, but uh, no, it's, it's, it's funny. I, I, I actually asked our tourists on that press on that zoom call, you know, everybody obviously can fall in love during the courtship process. And it was a whirlwind courtship as we all know, because, they weren't expecting to be available. And then, you know, they just pivoted and went quickly down there and all that stuff. Um, and, and they exited that talking about this partnership and, you know, all the excitement about, 
you know, shared vision and all that stuff. But, you know, what then you've got, what is it? That was, I can't remember when he was hired. It's all blur September. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so, <laughs> so six months of, you know, seeing him work on a daily basis, seeing him and his staff work on a daily basis. And Arturis is around all the time. I mean, that's the other thing is like, he made a good point in that Zoom call. Like the executives are tier one. So you kind of always, always have to be on the same level as the team. They're always in the gym together. I think he would have been anyway. That's kind of his MO as an executive, but he's always around. So, you know, I'm not saying six months to the honeymoon period is completely worn off, but you would start to see, you know, some warts or some things. And and beyond what he said to him publicly, this is one thing I've, I've heard privately is just how much, because when people I talk to around the league, Arturis is just like raving about Billy to everybody. He just loves the guy and he loves like seeing him work. And I don't know, I don't know what you guys think, but just some of the the post game press conferences are just really nice dissertations of basketball. He's always got really sound reasoning for what he does. You may not always agree with it. And he will sometimes look inward and say, you know, maybe I messed that up or what have you, but he's always got sound reasoning. A really good like micro example would be that Luke Cornett thing recently, where he was talking about why he's playing Luke Cornett over Daniel Gafford. And he had, Really strong, you know, opinions about spacing and, and guys blitzing um, Zach and all that stuff. And also closing with that over Wendell, uh, you know, that Thad's just a little bit more advanced for that release pass when, when teams blitz Zach. So, you know, it, it's it's been fun for us to, to talk to Billy about basketball and, and just how he breaks things down and how he sees the game. Because, again, you may not always agree with him, but he's always, you know, willing to talk philosophy and chop it up with you. So, uh, I would say that relationship is yeah. as yeah, strong as say, you like, guys think. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, just like the post game stuff is definitely noticeable. I know the last coach, a bit of a punching bag from us and from a lot of other fans. And just, I mean, the uh, post game stuff on Twitter was, especially after so many bad losses, uh, our guy Jim Boylan would always just a lot of, a lot of cliches and a lot of just like goofy stuff. And it, And when you have Billy, it just seems like, he just has so much more interesting things to say, and like, and it's just—it's not like a laughing stock. I feel like every almost every game last year would be like a, we'd be just like joking about stuff Jim would say after the game. So with that, with Billy, it's like yeah, you said like even if you disagree with it, like he like he explains himself really well. It just like it just like comes across so much more professional, and it's just like nice to have that. Like, I don't want to be too harsh on Jim Boylan here, but just like Billy just that, seems like Rick, just, that's, what Ricky, that's what Ricky's here for. To be yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, it just seems like it's such a clear jump in just like general professionalism with the media and just his answers to you guys after all these games. It's, it's just really refreshing. Yeah, I, I, I'll uh, I, I enjoyed <laughs> your your final Jim Boylan <laughs> column, Ricky. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you know I was a little skeptical of how good Donovan was just following him yep. from his days on the Thunder. I thought he was a bit bland offensively. The Thunder always seemed to sort of break down in crunch time of games, uh, but his impact on the Bulls this year, I think, has obviously been remarkable. I think that Thad certainly deserves a lot of credit for that, but he's put Thad in the position to succeed, like. Uh, this year, he spent more minutes at center than he ever has in his career. Uh, you know, the way that he's flexible in his strategies on both ends of the court, which was something where Boylan just really failed, was that he was, uh, you know, so stubborn in addition to being terrible. So uh, I think that, you know, obviously <laughs> Donovan has been uh, really a positive impact for them. And, uh, you know, I don't know, as we project the roster for the next few years, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they sort of thread the line of still trying to develop 
some of these young guys, obviously they drafted Patrick Williams, but then you got Kobe White who's only 20. It's hard to believe Wendell Carter's still only 21 because I feel like in a lot of ways he sort of like carries himself as someone who's been in the league for a longer time than that. Uh, that to me has been one of the most interesting things this year. They're still starting Kobe at point guard. Kobe has very obviously been going through some growing pains. First time he's ever played full-time point guard in his life. Uh they're starting Pat every game. He's 19 years old. He's the youngest player in the league when the Thunder have Pukashevsky down in the G League. So how have you sort of seen Donovan kind of handle that uh, with, you know, staying with the young guys, staying with the development, but still closing with the people who he thinks gives him the best chance to win? That's been one of the most interesting things to watch this season for me. Yeah, and I think the big thing is just how he keeps everybody engaged. You know, he kind of keeps everybody happy. And a lot of that is... Um, he doesn't he doesn't present himself as someone who has all the answers. He takes a lot of input from players. He has his own strong opinions and his own philosophies, but he, I think he incorporates kind of stuff he gets from the players and and, and kind of infiltrates you know the what he does on the court with that input. Um, and I think that's a really refreshing coaching style and I think that's borne out just you know with the way he if you look at his thunder teams he played differently a lot of times particularly last season obviously when they went into that what was considered going to be a rebuild and then they have a great season you know he went three guard he ran more through Steven Adams than he ever had previously and so i think the fact that he kind of plays to players strengths allows him to walk that line that you're talking about Ricky where you know he kind of sticks with the young guys and emboldens them but then also holds them accountable by you know, sometimes not always closing with them or, or what have you. And I, I just think you're right. I mean, I think there's – and you can clearly read some of the the media coverage of his time in OKC that he, he definitely had a lot of success there, and it's borne out in the fact that he was in the coaching year running his fifth and final year there. But there was always kind of this – from afar, it seemed like there's this perception, like can he take you all the way kind of thing, right? And he had obviously some great talent there. But I think his touch with this team has just been spot on in a lot of ways. It's and I really think he's he's done a really good job of walking the line of kind of um, complimenting them while also holding them accountable or being critical. But it, being critical in a way that's like not like uh, defeating. You know, it's 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 he's he's really really handled that well. Think back to those first two games. Those first two losses were alarming. They were Brutal. like, you were like, oh my God, this is like, nothing is going to change. They brought back the same roster. Like, here we go again. Exactly. And and he he was like, he was not throwing them a lifeline. He's like, until you handle like the competing part, like they couldn't even get the ball over half court against some of that mild pressure. He's like, until you handle like the competing part, I can't coach you. So bring the comp- competing part and then I'll coach you. And I thought that was fantastic, man. And obviously then the Warriors game, even though they lost, it was kind of a little bit of a turning point because they finally showed up and competed. So it's it's hard not to, you know, obviously our job is to be objective and analyze and, and occasionally be critical, but it is hard not to to look at the touch that he's had. And he's really impacted uh, him and his staff. You always got to make sure you throw out credit to his staff too. But him and his staff have really, I think, just hit a lot of the right notes um, with the whole roster. And a big part of that is that dynamic that you're talking about, Ricky, where you're like feeding the young guys, but also making them sure that they grow as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the competitive factor, I mean, the last time they got blown out was what, like the, the Clippers game, they lost by 19, but they were kind of in that until the fourth quarter. They just, they don't, like the 30-point deficit alert is not a thing that's happening anymore. Like even when they go down early and like he, with this young starting lineup, like they have gone down early a lot in these games. I think that happened in the Nuggets game. I think that happened in the Suns game. But then they're the, with these veterans, with the bench, with Thad and with Sato and with Temple and even like Denzel Valentine, like they come back and they just get back in these games and they never stop. They never quit. They, they're in. They've been in all these games against these better teams lately. Too. Even though they haven't beaten the good teams, you know, they lost those two games. They lost that Sixers game. The, the, just being competitive has been great. So just like just a stark difference, like you said, from those first couple games. I know they got blown out in Milwaukee a little earlier. There was really ugly too, but just the general competitiveness level just it's so much nicer compared to getting losing by 25, the, the 30 point deficits, which were like, that was happening like every week last season. It happened a couple times to start this year, but now it's like they go down big and they fight right back. And that's, it's just a huge jump. Just that's progression. I mean, we talked about evaluation. We talked about progression and that's been a huge part of it this season. It's been really, it's been great to see. And, and now obviously you got to keep it rolling because as you guys know, the, the schedule gets a lot oh, yeah. tougher the second half, yes. um, the, the, the quality of opponent. And look, I mean, you know, we, we've, we've spotted a lot of positives here, and, and there's part of that is because we're so starved for anything positive, you know, yeah. covering this team. But, but um, you know, they really have not um, – they've been competitive in some games against elite teams, but their record against elite teams is still not good. And, it's bad. It's still yeah, bad. <laughs> and they've got a lot of them coming up here. So let's see it keep rolling, man. And, and you know, getting Lowry back uh, will be another kind of wrinkle to, to watch and see how he's assimilated and – um, you know, he's obviously important as well. So there's, there's still going to be a lot of fun storylines coming the second half. Uh, yeah, on the Lowry note, what is the latest? I haven't seen the latest update on him. What is his timetable? Is there anything new on that front? Well, I mean, I, I just kind of the overall feeling having, you know, there's no specific timeline, but the overall feeling was that he was trending towards, you know, doing more and getting it's, 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 it's certainly felt going into the break that it was getting closer. So I, I'm not predicting a date or throwing out a game, but it just sounds like they're going to, he's going to yeah. be doing more. Uh, so they go back to the practice floor on Wednesday. And, um, you know, I, I certainly would expect him to start doing more on the court and, and getting back maybe into full speed of practice here pretty soon. That's good. And then I guess just on that front as well with Otto, like his back end, there was also the rumor you mentioned the Kevin O'Connor thing. And he also talked about the possible buyout and like the Warriors having interest. And I mean, he hasn't played in what, like a month or so now with this weird back injury. Uh, What's the latest on Otto and his status? Yeah, I mean, just he hasn't been available. I mean, you know, uh, I saw that report. I can't really speak much of that because I was not able to get much on any of that. So I, I personally, my, my own individual reaction was why would he give any money back? You know, unless he's knows, yep. he, knows he's going to like a contender or something and like, he's going to make what he gives back. I seems like a lot of ifs, uh, surrounding that scenario, yeah. because look, before, before he went down, he was playing, you know, I know he wasn't starting anymore, but he was playing. Yeah. He's still good. He, yeah. Well, he, he still uh, puts – yeah, he, he he still was impacting, definitely. His numbers per 36 are very good. He was shooting the ball at a high clip. Um, he rebounded well. Um, so he, he had a prominent role before he went down. And, um, you know, right. when he's down, I don't know, I just don't even bat an eye anymore. I'm just like, okay, I don't know. It's like kind of what we know. <laughs> yeah, right. covered so him here. So, uh, yeah. but, yeah, he seems a lot further away than, than Lowry is. So we'll – We'll we'll see if he ever gets back at this point. Jeez, yikes! 
Uh, and then I guess the third guy is Hutch. I know Billy gave that update a long time ago on him, and it seems like it's a personal issue. Like, is that all you got from him? Like, was that? It's just like I know he had the COVID as well earlier this season, and then it's he just kind of disappeared. Like, so I guess what's the deal with Hutch? Do you have any more aura on that? It's just it is a personal issue. Um, I was you know I, I I was able to report to the point where I was comfortable just knowing it's a personal issue and, you know, when, it's yep. per- when, when I know it's personal, I, at least I'm comfortable with what I, my reporting led me to believe it's personal, then I just yep. leave it alone. I don't, I don't dig anymore. And, um, you know, it is a pretty unique situation in the sense that he is practicing and he's around the team. You guys see him, he's on the bench at home games. Um, so yep. that one's, that one's a little different, but, you know, uh, it's clear that the organization is, um, you know, doing whatever they can to support him. And Billy has been pretty vocal about that. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'd leave it. Is it's He's going through a personal situation and the, and the organization supporting him as best as they can. Uh, I'm curious, what has this season been like for you covering the team like from Zoom and not being around the team? Uh, I'm sure it's the first time in your career it's been like this always. So, you know, what, what have the challenges of that been? And, you know, have there been any positives for you personally? Like, do you have a lot more time back in your life and in your schedule now that you can just hop on the computer and do this instead of driving down to the practice facility? Yes. Or jumping on an airplane. I've been jumping on airplanes for <laughs> 22 years straight. And I will say, uh, Thank you for asking this. I mean, I will say most times people are bored uh, with the life of a reporter behind the scenes stuff. So I won't bore you too much other than, yeah, I mean, I think you kind of can just guess how it is. It's not good for product because we're just sitting here talking into a computer and everybody's not only get, not only is everybody getting the same stuff, but um, you lose obviously all the nuance, all the body language, all the interactions, all the observations all the whispering, all the gossips you run, you miss the casual conversations that help inform your coverage. I'm not complaining one bit. We're living through a global pandemic. The fact that I don't have the normal access that I have is is like a thimbleful of woe in this sea of awfulness, right? So um, I, I'm not complaining at all. You, as you guys know, with a there's no playbook for a pandemic. You just kind of figure it out and you move through it. Um, But yeah, I've tried to focus on the positives. Uh, I got to be honest, uh, traveling is by far the best access you get because, as you know, it thins the media herd and uh, the players are much more relaxed and they kind of, even though there's still that line of objectivity, they kind of view you more as equals because you're kind of part of the traveling party, right? So the road is always where you get the best access. However, comma. <laughs> I have been jumping on airplanes for 22 years. And until you get off of that, I, and it's funny, we're taping this because tomorrow is my one year anniversary of my last airplane ride. And if you told me that I, as a professional sports writer, would go a year without jumping on an airplane, I would have said you were crazy. Um, and I got to be honest, I don't really miss it. <laughs> it's, it's really kind of an awful existence. <laughs> what do you think about it? Um, I, I, again, I'm not complaining. I love, I love traveling. I love the crazy nature of the frenetic pace of NBA beat. It's helped keep me mildly young as I age into my mid fifties here. Um, you know, but, uh, but it, it, it's, it's just a lot. You, you talk to people who travel for a living and when they tell you that it's a grind, it can be a grind. So, uh, that part of just walking down to my little broom closet that I'm in right here and, uh, jumping on a, jumping on a zoom call, 
rather than flying all over the country has been, yeah, it's been, it's been nice and, and clearly more family time too. So that's obviously a nice benefit as well. Absolutely. Um, I think more fun stuff here. There was a report last week, I think, Shams, about Joakim Noah. And I know, uh, I mean, you've been around Joakim Noah forever covering him uh, and that he's going to allegedly retire with the Bulls at some point, that he's hanging him up. Uh, we've obviously, we just had so many fun mo- moments watching Joakim Noah. You said you were close to him. I guess, what is your favorite Joakim Noah? Or do you have like a special Joakim Noah story dear to your heart that you can uh, just expand on or talk about just because... Joakim Noah is just one of our favorite bulls, and he's just been so awesome. And it's a shame that he's uh, hanging him up now. But I mean, Joakim Noah stories are always awesome. So yeah, I mean, I've, it, I've yeah. got I've got a lot of them. Uh, some of them are well documented. I mean, I will say one of my favorite moments ever was that ridiculously awesome quote where he talked about who he plays for, and you know, he's the, the little tiny person he sees up in the three hundred level jumping up and down, and <laughs> and then the man out of the corner selling newspapers, which is like, if you think about it, it's like there was no man on the corner selling newspapers, but it was it was metaphorical and it was beautiful, especially for a longtime former newspaper man like myself. So. And at the time I was working for a newspaper, so I loved it. Uh, so that that quote alone just to me kind of strikes the essence of, of Joakim. But I, I, I was fortunate to feel – I felt like I had a really strong uh, professional relationship with Joakim. I spent a lot of time with him off the court reporting um, some features with him over the years. So I, I would say he's one of the more uh, – uh, the, the closer relationships I've had in, in, in the time I've been, I've been doing this. Um, again, professionally, I'm not big on getting to be friends with, with players, although I – I did get to know his family pretty well too. His mom's just a force of nature and awesome and great in the community and all that stuff. So I've got a lot of them. The, the one I, I, and I won't get too far into detail on this because maybe you guys read it, but I, I shared a, you know, pulling back the curtain behind the scenes story uh, from a reporting aspect of what it was like to cover Joe Keem at, on our website at NBCSportsChicago.com. And I don't usually do that, but to me, it really struck a lot to who Joe Keem is and, he, he got really, really mad at me one time for a story I wrote in the Trib. And um, and it, it he he basically was like, you know, and I at the time thought we had a fantastic relationship and he was really hot at me. Um, and I, you know, tried to talk it out with him. He's like, no, no, no. And he was like, you I'll answer your questions in group setting, but don't come to me for anything extra because you're not going to get it. And the reason I tell this story is because talk about a guy who's like true to his word. I would poke and prod like every seven or eight days. I'd go up and try to get, you know, pull him off side. And he'd like wave me away. He wouldn't even look at me. So he held true to his word. Um, and it, it was – it stuff like that usually doesn't bother me because it's just part of the the turf war that, that happens as, as a beat writer. you got to have thick skin. And But it really bothered me with Joe Kim because, uh, first of all, I thought we had a good relationship. But second of all, he's like the best interview ever. And, <laughs> and like I was missing out other than like just the group stuff. So – I wrote him a handwritten letter, which I would never think of doing to any like anyone else. I, I don't even know why I thought this time, but it's that's how much I valued our relationship and his standing on the beat. And I left it at his locker, and um, and you know I waited a few days and I was just kind of tiptoeing around him. And finally, like we were in Cleveland, and he he called me over and he's like, "Hey, man, KC," and waved me over, and I'm like, "Okay." And, and he's like, that letter you wrote me, that was some good shit, man. <laughs> and, then, and then he gave me like a fist pound. And then like we were back kind of on normal ground and normal footing. So it, to me, it just says a lot to who he is. He's very prideful. He's very stubborn. He's very resolute. Uh, he's very um, passionate. And 
that the reason why I peeled back the curtain, which I don't usually do to kind of include myself in that story, because it revealed a lot of, you know, his qualities and why you see why he's such a well-liked player. Um, and yeah, I've said this before on other podcasts. I'm sure you guys have heard it or, and I've written it. I've been doing this a long time. He's my favorite athlete I've ever covered. I mean, you just, you, you literally cannot get a better interview because not only was he so passionate and emotional and a great quote, but he was also funny as hell. I mean, he had some hilarious lines um, over the years and he didn't take him. He took what he did seriously, but he didn't take himself that seriously. I've always kind of favored that kind of athlete as well. So you guys have strong feelings for him. I have strong feelings for him. And I think it's cool. He's going to retire as a bull, you know, just like Lou Aldang is, you know, for as much, crap as this organization gets at times from the fan base. And I understand it for some of the things they do, they shoot themselves in the foot. It's still a pretty good place to play. You're in a big market. Uh, you know, it's a historic franchise and there's a lot of players that have pretty strong feelings for playing here. And, and Luol and Joe Keem retiring his bulls is to me emblematic of that. So do we think those guys are going to get their jerseys retired in the UC? Any chance of that? You guys go first. What do you thought? I don't know. I I feel like you really have to be like really, really special to get your jersey retired. So like I'm not totally sure. I mean, I'd be fine with it. I'm all for it. I mean, Joe Keem just so and both those guys just were well, around for so long. Well, if you do Joe Keem, so you gotta do you gotta do Norm. Because to me they they they're very similar. Like yeah, true. they're on like the almost teams and they you know yeah. wore their heart on their sleeves and all the floor burns and the passion. So if, if you do Joe Keem, you gotta do you gotta do Norm first, in my opinion. Uh well, and, and, I, I mean Norm was such a big part. Yeah, and, and to me, to, Derek, to me, it would be. Derek. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that. I was going to say it would be weird if they didn't retire Derek, and yeah. they did retire some of those other jerseys. And anyways, like the fans have already retired Rose's jersey because anytime they try to give it to someone, <laughs> they just comment with a bunch of Rose emojis on their Instagram like pages, and everyone just melts down. They cannot handle the D Rose fans flooding them with emojis. So I think that one, to me, seems like it's been unofficially retired in a certain yeah. capacity, at least. And I, I think he, to me, if you're doing one next one, I think you're doing – I think he would need to be the next one, just in my opinion. That's fair. And, and someone yeah. someone said to me recently, like, oh, he only had three good seasons. I'm like, first of all, that's that's wrong. Because <laughs> he, he played that fourth one where he was in and out of the lineup – and and um, and they sold the league's best record, and then he tore up his knee, and then also he actually that fourteen fifteen season had a pretty good season. Yep. Didn't lead didn't lead to much yep. success, but he played in the shot. Yeah, he played well, but uh, but I also said, the Cavs. yeah yeah, but I also said to that person, I was like, okay, even if you say it's only three good seasons, okay, in those three seasons he was rookie of the year, two time All Star, and MVP of the league. It's like, you know, how can you youngest not- MVP ever? Yeah, so. This this person was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I, I have to ask about John Paxson. What's he do? Still, we got Doug Collins still on staff. We got Jim Paxson still on staff, right? John Paxson obviously still on staff. Uh, I know that you're not around the team, but you did cover these guys pretty closely the last, you know, in Paxson's case, twenty years or whatever. So. Uh, do you not have any insight into sort of what their influence and what Paxson's capacity is on the team? And like, is Doug Collins like jumping into weekly Zoom calls? I know last year he was like at practices and uh, talking to players after film sessions. I think you reported that at some point. So like, what are all those old dudes doing right now? 
<laughs> I, I can't speak for Doug because I'm not privy to his situation. You know, John, uh, I, I have actually not been to too many home games. I was going at the first, and I have not been to too many lately. And now that I'm this close to knock on wood getting vaccinated, I'll probably wait until I get vaccinated. And it actually is very safe there, so I, I could go to home games. But the last home game I was at, he was there. Uh, he was sitting in the suite. He's not around a lot. Um, he kind of comes and goes as he wants. Um, I, I know I wrote this over the summer, you know, when our tourists first got here, he, he used John as a resource, mostly just for institutional knowledge stuff. And I, I know for sure that, you know, the relationship that John has with the Reinsdorfs, um, you know, that's something that our tourists can, can learn from or, or gain insight from just, you know, how ownership works, that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know how much basketball stuff, um, He's around for. I don't know if he's in on Zoom meetings. I actually have not talked to John in a while. I talked to him a couple of times in the off season. Um, but uh, I'll say this: John will be the first to tell you is he's you know this is Arturis's show, and Arturis is completely calling all the shots. If Arturis wants John's input, John will give it to him. If Arturis doesn't want John's input, John won't give it to him. He is just there to serve the Chicago Bulls. And, you know, he's the one who he's the one who stepped down. If John Paxson, this is well documented. You guys know this. If John Paxson didn't go to the Ryan source and say, I don't want to do this anymore, he would still be the lead executive for basketball operations <laughs> for the Bulls. He did that. <laughs> Arturis is here and it's Arturis's show. Don't get don't 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 think anything else than that. But John is around for as much or as little as Arturis uh, wants to use. him. So all those times that. I said John Paxson needed to fire himself. He like he sort of did it. So good for you, John Paxson. He still got a great life. I'm sure he's rich. You know, less stress. Doesn't have to go on the score and get yelled at on Christmas Eve every year or whatever. So, you know, I'm sure his quality of life has probably improved, even as he's, you know, taking a little step back. I, I always forget. Try to try to in a nutshell because I've read your stuff over the years. But try to in a nutshell summarize where you had the biggest issue with John. Uh, well, I thought, you know, the culture around the team had just sort of totally fallen apart and to the point where it was a joke between uh, the way their relationship deteriorated with Thibodeau, uh, some of the rumors around the team during uh, Thibodeau's heyday. Maybe there was some spying on players. Who's to say if that was really coming from Paxson or from Foreman? Uh, but it's just like the team just sort of became a joke. And Paxson was employed for much longer than executives are typically employed for. And it didn't really seem like there was any level of accountability. And then I thought the Jimmy Butler trade was really just uh, a poor trade. Now, obviously, Zach has sort of recouped some of that. And I'm sure John feels great about that, that now he can say, hey, we traded Jimmy Butler for an all-star. What are you guys so mad about? Uh, But, you know, at the same point, Jimmy Butler was awesome. And, you know, the best thing that the Paxson Foreman front office had going for him was that they drafted Jimmy Butler. so seeing that trade, I think that that was a bit of a bummer. And, uh, you know, when the Bulls were sort of at their peak of their heyday with Rose and Noah, uh, I think maybe there were some missed opportunities there too, obviously. But there's a lot that goes into it. Paxson had a much longer career than most executives yeah. do. So, you know, of course, yeah. people are going to be critical when the team had sort of fallen so far over recent years. But anyways... <laughs> I was just curious. Yeah, in the last couple of years, especially, yeah. You don't hear about him much anymore. 
And that's uh, the way he likes it, man. He's he's done with us, man. He doesn't have to talk to those <laughs> clowns anymore. So, hey, I'll take a new era, AK Eversley. It's great. Uh, we'll wrap up here pretty quickly. I guess you talked about going to home games, and now that the Cubs and White Sox, Lord Lightfoot said there will be fans at Wrigley Field at guaranteed rate on opening day. Have you heard anything about fans coming back to the UC for the second half at any point? Uh, no. And, and, uh, Lightfoot also, I think said that, you know, for indoor sports, it's not changed as of now, Okay, but, I missed that. Yeah. but, but, you know, if you look at the way numbers are trending and with, with vaccinations, hopefully, you know, continue to increase, I, I'm not going to be surprised if it happens. And look, that was kind of the goal of all the NBA, you know, that yeah. was the, that was the publicly say goal from the league on whole. And obviously a lot of teams have already kind of enacted it because you know i think it's up to 17 teams that have at least limited fans in so you know the the nba was clear about by the second half of the season hopefully all 30 teams would have them and so i'm not going to be surprised if it happens at some point um darnell mayberry in the athletic had something uh off the last home game where i um that some family members were in suites for the first time at that last home game before the break um, which I got confirmed from a spokesman from the Bulls. So they're starting to allow, you know, obviously with strict safety protocols and all that stuff, but they're starting to allow like very select numbers, limited numbers of, of uh, family members and things like that. Um, but yeah, they as far as fans, uh, I'm, I think it's going to happen, but I have not heard when that's going to happen. Yeah, we need some fans for these, uh, maybe the play-in games, playoffs. So I guess wrapping up here, uh, looking ahead at the second half, you mentioned the schedule is looking a, b- a bit rougher. Um, uh, so they start, what, Thursday against the Sixers. Do we know if Embiid and Simmons are going to be available for that game? So maybe it won't be that t- tough to start right back because with the contact tracing, they missed the All-Star game. I think I saw Doc talk about they were hoping if they keep testing negative, they might be available for Thursday. I haven't seen. I didn't see today though anything. Did you guys see anything about that yet today? If they're going to be available for Thursday, I'm under the impression that's not definitive one way or the other yet. Um, So yeah, but um, we'll see because other corners. Yeah, so they got they got what the Sixers, and then they got they got Jimmy, uh, Jimmy and the Heat on Friday, and then I think it's the Raptors. So yeah, it's going this homestand they got coming out is tough, and then obviously just like a I think there's a West Coast trip, and obviously the very end of the season it looks really tough. We got the trade deadline coming up in basically what two weeks from now, a little more than two weeks from now. So I guess to wrap up here, just a couple of questions that put you on the spot. Will the Bulls make at least one trade? Maybe Andre Drummond. I meant to bring up the Andre Drummond rumor earlier. Uh, I don't really love Andre Drummond, but I guess do you think the Bulls will make at least one trade? And do you think that they will get into the playoffs, not just the play-in, the playoffs themselves? Uh, so as you guys know, I'm like incredibly awful at sports predictions. <laughs> so um, am I. <laughs> so uh, let's start with the playoffs because before the season, I, and I always stick by my bad predictions, but I wrote 27 and 45. Yep. Uh, Remember. In, in, in a mail bag. So I'm going to, I'm going to look like an idiot there. Uh, and I wrote uh, in, in a thing with Rob Schaefer, we did preseason predictions. I said um, they will not make the play I, or they will make the plan, but not make the playoffs. And then recently on a podcast, one night we were talking at like midnight because uh, sometimes we talk, take those post game. I, I was feeling the vibe after like a thrilling victory over the Timberwolves or something, and I said they're going to finish sixth, seventh, or eighth. So basically, the I'm OT all, victory. Yeah. So like basically, I'm all over the map. Uh, as of right now, as of this taping, showing how much I've waffled here. As of this taping, I think they will be a, a play-in team, but not make the playoffs. So. 
there we go. That's my, there, there's my latest prediction. Uh, and then as far as trades, um, I, I don't really know. Uh, I would get, if I have to pick, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that Thad Young is the most likely to be traded and he keeps him. Um, you know, maybe they can figure out something with Otto. Uh, I don't know. But, uh, you know, I don't really see much else. So they're not trading any of the big ones. I know that. So uh, what do you guys think? Do you think they're going to make a trade? Do you want them to make a trade? I feel like I feel like if they don't sell, like I guess I would like to see them maybe trade for somebody. I, I don't want to give up like get crazy and like give up assets for like a failed run for the plane. But like I know we've talked about the Lonzo stuff, but it looks like Lonzo's off the board at this point. He's been playing a lot better. Uh, I know the Pelicans still kind of stink. We saw them just right before the break and. That team is just kind of weird despite the talent. But Lonzo, it seems like he's off the board. We've talked about him a lot. I brought up Drummond. Like, I don't, like, I don't know about that. Like, that would screw with Wendell. I feel like I feel like I'd almost just be fine kind of rolling with that. But, like, if they don't trade Thad or if they don't trade one of the vets, uh, whether it's Otto, I doubt they're trading a guy like Sato or Garrett Temple. We even talked about Garrett Temple, who's been a huge addition for this team and kind of uh, looked past him when they signed him. Um I guess I would say I think they'll make at least one trade. Like I said, I have no idea. You would know much more than me, but I think at least one. They'll make at least one move. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'd like to see at least one thing. Maybe it's just me just trying to speak that into existence at this point. Ricky, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, what I, I my speculation would be very uninformed, so I have no idea. I think that if there's a good offer on the table for Thad Young, they should think long and hard about it. They wanted to boost his trade value. He's boosted his trade value. It depends what the offer is, though, so... Uh, that'll be interesting to watch play out. And uh, once that trade deadline passes, I guess, then they'll be fully locked in on trying to make the play-in tournament and trying to make the playoffs. So, uh, Casey, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, every time I see you in person, we always chat for a little bit about music. So I, before we let you go, I got to know, what are you listening to music-wise these days? Uh, as usual, I'm all over the map, but I'll give you two that I've been playing a lot lately. But I don't know if you saw that. I don't know if you even like this artist, but uh, Nick Cave. I'm a huge Nick Cave fan, and he just did a side project with Warren Ellis from the Bad Seeds, uh, album called Carnage, which is to me everything he does is pretty phenomenal. And then I'm still really in this record is a little bit older, but I'm still really into that Bill Callahan record, Gold Record, uh, from last year. Um, I'm a big Bill Callahan fan, so those are. Those are the two I, 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 I thought I'd share with the, the listeners out there. And Jason has no idea who the hell I'm talking about. So <laughs> I got nothing here. Yeah. <laughs> Ricky, you well, go, I'll say that you I've been listening edu- to a lot of. Yeah. I've been, you, you always educate me. So you're. you're I've been listening to. A, yeah. I mean, I'm just throwing my bullshit out there. But I've been loving the Wild <laughs> Pink album. That's my favorite record of 2021 so far called a billion little lights i did not really like them as much before i saw them live once and it was just a solo show it wasn't as good but this record seems really lush and i really uh love this new album by wild pink and then my guy bartiz strange who uh, put out an album last year absolutely one of the best records of the year it'll remind you a little bit of like tv on the radio it has some maybe at the driving influence straight up my alley so bartiz strange my favorite from last year wild pink so far my favorite from this year how much you miss live music? A lot. I'm hoping that maybe we could at least do some outdoor festivals this year. Not even the big ones like Lollapalooza, which uh, I haven't been to in nine or ten years at this point. But like just the street festivals, I feel like I miss those so much. That was always part of my summer routine. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, 
I've been very cautious, I think, during COVID, and I'm going to continue to do that until I get vaccinated. But both my parents got vaccinated, so that gives me a little bit of a peace of mind now that uh, hopefully I can't accidentally kill my parents, which is something I was very worried about. And I would like to, uh, you know, get back to live music now in the summer as, you know, it gets warmer and we can actually be outside. Amen to that. Amen to that. I said today it was like 60 some degrees walking the dog outside today and just like, like, yeah, bring it on the summer. I know it's supposed to get cool again like next week, but like it just made me think of just being, being outside, having a drink, listen to some music out of those street fest. Miss those last year. That'd be, be awesome. It was a nice little taste of it today. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, Casey, thank you so much for joining us. This was awesome. I know everyone who listens to us knows where to find you, but please shout out uh, where they could people people can find you, Twitter, all your work, all that great stuff. Well, I refuse to acknowledge Twitter, so you won't get that if you... Uh, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I work for NBC Sports Chicago and with a lot of awesome teammates, including the young rising star, Rob Schaefer, who uh, yeah. is just an amazing force of nature that we're lucky to have work for us. And uh, obviously do some TV stuff with, uh, with Jason Goff and Will Perdue and Kendall Gill on the pregame show. Um, and I know Adam Amin and Stacey King are having a lot of fun this year. So a lot of, a lot of talent over at the, uh, at the station. I'm just happy to be contributing however I can. So thanks for having me, guys. Always, always fun to chop it up with you guys. We'll do it again next year or later this season when they Absolutely, make the, yeah. when they make the play in tournament. maybe when the the bulls play the knicks bulls knicks play in tournament dibs back bulls knicks it'd be it'd be amazing we've been we've been trying to speak that into existence like the last couple of weeks i i hope it happens and it's fun to see uh tibbs and the knicks do well as well so that's that's cool Thank you once again, Casey, for joining us. That'll do it for us here at Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We are part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Also, shout out to our sponsor, Brooklinen. Speaking of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, we will be having another pod. We're recording Tuesday. We are recording Monday right now, Tuesday, so that's tomorrow. We will be having one of our new podcasts on with us, joining us. That'd be Spinsters, a new NBA podcast featuring Haley O'Shaughnessy and Jordan Liggins. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk bowls. We're going to talk about a ton of NBA stuff. It is going to be tons of fun. If you haven't yet, go check out their podcast. That's Spencer's, again, part of the Blue Wire Network. Um, And as always, there's plenty of other great pods all across the Blue Wire Network. Please go check those out. Uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. Again, that's also the same for us. We're at Ad Cash Considerations. Wherever you listen to your pods, we're on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us. Please subscribe. Tell us how we're doing. Uh, you know where to find us on Twitter as well. I'm at Bulls underscore J. And Ricky is at, at SBN underscore Ricky. So again, we will be back again right away with another pod with, with Spencer's with Haley and Jordan. It's going to be a ton of fun. And then after that, later in the week, the Bulls will be playing the Philadelphia 76ers. We're not sure if they're going to have Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons coming out of the All-Star break because of COVID. We will see. And we will be doing a live locker room uh, episode after Bulls Sixers on Thursday night. Uh, so once again, Cash Considerations, Asia Bulls podcast. Take it easy, guys. We'll talk to you guys next time.